Good morning. We're going to be singing a familiar song to a lot of you. It's Lord, I Need You, and it's almost a prayer. (laughs) And it's one I think we can all relate to the words of.
I'm going to be reading from the King James Bible, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. Two are better than one because they have a good regard, reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And may the Lord add his blessings. Good morning, church, again, and happy Sabbath. I'm so happy to see you all. I know I see some faces that I do not recognize, so I want to extend a very warm welcome to you as well, of course, our regular members and uh, our friends. We are glad you're here. You know, I was expecting, I know most of us know Betty Zador, am I correct, from our church here? I was expecting to see her here this morning. She had been promising me for weeks that she will be here on September 1st. So I suppose tonight she'll call me and tell me the rain kept her away. I, as I'm hoping that she's not sick and that she's doing well. She has asked me to tell her congregation that she is doing well and that the Lord has um, provided her with several miracles in her life these last past few weeks. So we want to praise the Lord for that. And I want again to welcome again and to one and all. You know, this morning part of my presentation to you will be taken from the book Life is not lost by dying, written by Ruth Jager Buntain. But before we do, I want us to listen to this little presentation here. The man was in no shape to drive, so he very wisely left his car parked and walked home. As he was walking unsteadily along, he was stopped by a policeman. What are you doing out here at two o'clock in the morning? asked the officer. I'm going to a lecture, the man said. And who is going to give you a lecture at this hour? the cop asked. My wife, said the man. <laughs> so let's hope that our husbands and wives are children, whoever, don't have to give us a lecture at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'd like you to bow your heads with me, please. God, may you be pleased to use my words to magnify your name. I believe, Lord, that you work in spite of me, not because of me. 
Bridge the gap, Lord, and thank you. Amen. You know, it was 1992 when our family decided to have one of those historic family reunions. Oh, yes, we'd had many reunions in the past, but this one would be different. It would be a big deal. You see, all of us, 10 kids, mom and dad, were all born in this very tiny 21-square-mile-long island located in the Caribbean Sea. If you were to look on a world map, you would never see the name Tortola. That's where I'm from. You would never see the name Tortola anywhere on your map. In fact, you may not even see the group of islands called the British Virgin Islands on your map. There, everyone knew each other. We always had to be on our best behavior, for if we even thought of misbehaving, our parents would hear about it before it actually happened. Those folk down there tattletailed a lot. Life on Tortola was and still is good. The beautiful thing about living on an island is that it's self-sufficient. It has to be. Who's going to look after your island if you don't look after it yourself? So it has to be self-sufficient. We lacked for nothing. We went to good schools. We ate good food. We visited. Everybody turned up at your house and you didn't know they were coming. And they stayed for long periods of time. My dad brought home every visitor from church every Sabbath. And so... Who else would care about the island's welfare if we didn't? We had everything, like I said, we needed. Most of us kids by now in 1992 were grown and were scattered abroad, so this family reunion was meant to be special. We were all required to be dressed up in our best for our church service, we had other activities planned, but for our church service, that was real special. We had to behave, we had to be on our best behavior, and we invited just about everyone on the island, including the prime minister, who's related, of course, everybody's related too, because the island is so small. We were all required to take part in the church service. Some of us siblings were going to sing, some were going to pray, some would recite poetry, and I'll deliver sermonettes. It's my brother Dante's turn. We call him Tat. And he has chosen as his sermonette, No Man is an Island. He emphasized to us that islands are self-sufficient, but not so humans. So as family, church family, friends, we have to be unified, stick together, love each other, no matter what. He pointed out the five virtues of unity, love, care, 
wisdom, self-respect, and belonging to the whole. That sermon title at that time was new to us. We were aware of the saying, but the way my brother presented that no man is an island sermon, sermonette, made us laugh a lot. And to this day, we take the mickey out of him and call him the no man is an island brother. None of us remember what the rest of us did or said, but no man stuck with us, and now no man is an island, the way I present it, with the help of Mrs. Buntain. No man is an island, wrote John Donne, and he was right. From the moment that we inhale our first breath until we exhale the last, We are all part of the mainland. All the days of our lives are in interaction with each other. Much of the joy of life and a considerable portion of the sorrow come as a result of this intermingling. When our relations with others are amicable, mental and physical well-being is enhanced. When relationships are turbulent, the resulting negative feelings diminish a general well-being. Since both the quality and quantity of our days are affected by the way we interact with others, it is well to consider our people relations or relationships. Everywhere there is variance between men and his fellows. There is distrust, enmity, dissension. Even in our homes and churches, places where hearts are closely bound together, there is at times alienation. Why? Why is there so much sowing of dissension and so little scattering of love? Probably the basic reason why there is so much dissension is that self is enthroned in the human heart. Ego-centeredness is the wellspring of most of our actions. Because self is ever clamoring for assertion, we are ready continually to guard it from insult and humiliation. We become too easily pricked and respond in ways that are unchristian. It is because we are ego-centered that we think we can read hearts and judge motives, whereas in reality, we are blind judges. I'm talking to myself now, because I do this a lot at home with Quentin, and sometimes he's not happy with me. But then, you know, two seconds later, I call, I say, Clint, I need help, and he comes readily to my rescue. So no matter how closely we may live with another, in a sense it is impossible to understand fully the other's mind and heart. It is as Albert Schweitzer wrote, of that which constitutes our inner lives we can impart, even to those most intimate with us, only fragments. 
We wander through life together in a semi-darkness in which none of us can distinguish exactly the features of his neighbors. Isn't that real? We cannot know what goes on behind the masks that people wear. Now can we know what struggles they are waging in their souls? Another reason why we are often at variance is that we have lost a sense of the intrinsic worth of a human being. The Christian viewpoint is that each person is the one for whom Christ would have died had there been no other sinner on earth. When we see a person as the one for whom the cross on Calvary was erected, we treat him gently. We cultivate forbearance and compassion. However, as the distance between man and God widens, the sense of human worth diminishes. Correspondingly, man becomes less concerned with the way he treats others and more concerned about himself. This is the me generation. Each man for himself is the dominant attitude. An indication of this is the fact that many of the best-selling books, and I know this was a trend a few years ago, have ego-centered themes, seeing others only as a means for maintaining one's own well-being. The fact that overpopulation has become the world's most pressing problem has also lessened the awareness of human value. Living on a planet that has more than 4 billion human beings is probably more than that now. 7 billion? Thanks for correcting me. People have come to be regarded as things, as mere parts of a machine. We see Mark, the mechanic, as little more than the object who will write what is wrong with the transmission. We do not see him as a living, striving human being, a person who is confronting problems and bearing burdens, a person who needs our kindness and encouragement. When we wheel our grocery cart to the checker counter, we see the checker as the object who will tell us how much we owe for the groceries. We do not see her or him as a person who may well have the same feelings we have, suffer the same temptations, has the same kind of struggle with life, a person who needs our smiles and cheerfulness. We see the man who helps with our yard work as the object who will now mow the lawn and pull the weeds. We do not see him as a person who is struggling with poverty, who may have a health problem, who may have lain awake during the night worrying about a wayward son. Because of the lost sense of human worth, people treat one another in bruising ways. By attitudes, words, and actions, they often demean their fellow human beings. 
regarding them as little more than stepping stones, things to be used and manipulated. This is in marked contrast to the way Jesus regarded those with whom he came in contact. In every human being, however unlovely, he beheld a person of infinite worth, one who might be restored to sonship to God. If we, his followers, if, if we are his followers, our words and actions will bear his imprint. Having been baptized into the body of Christ, we have also been baptized into the conduct of Christ. Ellen White tells us that he exercised the greatest tact and thoughtful kind attention in his intercourse with the people. He was never rude, never needlessly spoke a severe word. We should heed his reminder. By this, all men shall know that we are my disciples, if we have love to one another. You know, this presentation this morning, I have openly directed to myself. Because I know sometimes I try not to let it happen often, but there are those odd times when I kind of take over and pretend that I am an island. And my children, like just this week, you know, I was giving my daughter some instructions. She's in North Carolina. And she eventually said to me, Mom, stop it. You know, I can't take it any longer. So um, you know, I'm cautioning myself here. And I hope that when I do this, that you too may be able to take what's been said here and try and modify your behavior as well. Cortland Myers, the minister, was not aware when he showed kindness to children on a train that every word he spoke and every action he performed had an uplifting influence on those who observed him. When Dr. Myers boarded the train to go to a city to preach a sermon, he hoped to use the time to work on his talk. He spread out his materials and began to study. A gray-haired woman and her four unkept children sat behind him. One child came to Dr. Myers and unintentionally put a soiled hand on his shirt collar. The minister felt tempted to send the boy to his seat. Instead, he put aside his work and spent his time telling stories to the children. A man who was about to disembark stopped beside Dr. Myers. There were tears in his eyes as he thanked the minister for his kindness to the children. People on the train have been watching you, he said. They say you are a real Christian. He explained that the woman accompanying the children was their grandmother. Their mother had died a few days previously. Munhok Chen was a person whose works were words of life and whose works were works of love. Although my husband and I, this is the, the lady, Mrs. Buntain, 
Although my husband and I had never met or seen Dr. Chang, having arrived at Hilo, Hawaii, when his life was ebbing, we were to hear much of him and to be reminded by many people of his works of kindness and love. Dr. Chang is dying, Edith Morrison, veteran Bible instructor of the Hilo Seventh-day Adventist Church. How we shall miss him. She said, her voice faltered, and she wiped away tears. For 31 years, he was a church elder, said Pastor Alex Hall. He was a mainstay. The group of church members who hosted a supper for us at the park was subdued. Each, it seemed, was thinking about Mun Hook Cheng, the beloved doctor who would soon be taken from them. This is one funeral at which I would not be able to sing, said Eloise Farr a few days later, after the doctor's death had been announced. My parents died when I was young. Dr. Cheng was like a father to me. When I had problems, he always helped me. Dr. Cheng made our annual church solicitations easy. When we would go to a door to visit someone and we would knock, we would hear voices on the inside saying, Who is it? The Adventist? Give to them or let them in. It is a doctor's church. How many of us can be witnesses like that to our Jesus, to our God? It wasn't only because he was my doctor that I feel so sad, said Mrs. Vieira, a Catholic landlady. There was something about him. He was so kind to everyone. I'm going to have a mass said for him. Probably Hilo had never seen before such a funeral. Looking at the profusion of flowers, one could only reflect that the gardens of the Orchid Isle must have been stripped clean for the occasion. Some of the reeds had the word mahalo, the Hawaiian word for thank you, emblazoned on the ribbon. Probably Hilo had never seen so many people at a service. People of all races, creeds, and ways of life. There were Catholic priests, black-robed nuns, Protestants, Buddhists, the unchurched. There were the fashionably dressed and the poorly dressed in attendance. There were civic leaders, shop owners, professional persons. And there were those who worked in the fields of the plantation. Let your light so shine before men, the great physician said. Dr. Cheng had done just that. As he had ministered to their bodies, he had also ministered to their soul needs. His prescription had included a potion not to be found in the bottles of the pharmacy. Because he was a loving, compassionate man, a city of many thousands mourned his passing. Am I my brother's keeper? A man asked God at the world's beginning. Yes, we are our brother's keepers. And we are also his maker. 
Every day our words and actions have an influence for good or for evil on the minds and characters of those with whom we come in contact. When our actions and our attitudes are severe and unkind, we cast shadows on the lives of others. We wither their good impulses and harden their hearts. On the other hand, when we are thoughtful, kind, tender-hearted, we brighten the pathway of others. We break down the barriers and make hearts responsive to the graces of Jesus. You know, I just want to let us know that in order to continue to love and serve our Jesus, we need to be one. And I know at our church here, that's what we aim for. We strive for that with all of our might and all of our strength. And like I said, I'm cautioning myself here this morning more than anything else. So when we smile at others, they will smile at us. When we speak cheerful, kind words, they will be spoken to us again. As we reflect the graces of the Spirit and come close to hearts, our own hearts will be warmed and renewed. And because we are at one with our human brothers and sisters, the quality of our lives will be enhanced and the days of our lives will bless the lives of others. You know, this morning I want to bring you a very short little video about what happens when we are just one, when we pretend to be an island, that we don't need anyone else in our lives, and we say, I alone can do it. And, you know, we pretend that we are unto ourselves, but that doesn't work. How could you possibly go through life without the influence of other people's um, attitudes and lives upon your own? So I want to show us a little video of how it is so much easier when we are one, when we are one body, that we can protect ourselves. I'll ask um, Brother Rick to play that little. It's just a minute and 20 minutes long. Don't blink, otherwise you'll miss it. Groups. 
morbid, isn't it? Yeah, I thought it was. Isn't it so much better to work together, love each other, carry each other on our shoulders, whatever we have to do in order to have Jesus work with us, and eventually all of us, together as a whole, will go to the kingdom of God when he comes. So no man is an island. I'm almost done. No one is self-sufficient. Everyone relies on others. This saying comes from a sermon by the 17th century author John Donne. And I did indicate that earlier. Human beings are social animals and cannot function independently the way islands do. No man is all by himself. Everyone's life is linked to a lot of other people directly or indirectly. And you cannot claim to survive by yourself as there will always be some external contribution whether you like it or not. I would just quickly like to read a scripture reading again. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So in coming to the subject of Christian unity, I'm reminded of the familiar story of two old Quakers who were chatting. The one said to the other, you know, Sometimes I think that everyone in the world is a bit off, except for me and thee. And sometimes I wonder about thee. (laughs) You know, we smile at that story because we recognize ourselves in it. We are all prone to think, like I said, I alone can fix it. I alone see things clearly, and everyone else is a bit off. You know, Clinton tells me I do that a lot. I alone can do it. I don't think I do, but he thinks so. I wonder how people can be so blind as not to see things my way. Paul appeals to us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling with our holiness and purity, and that a worthy walk involves all humanity, gentleness, patience, tolerance, and love. And so when my brother gave his No Man is an Island speech, a sermonette, 26 years ago, for the most part, we all got it. Thankfully, we have not strayed away from that mantra. I therefore appeal to all of us in our church and in our lives to do likewise. Let us hold each other close. Let us walk in a manner worthy of the gospel by relating to one another 
in ways that preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We will now sing hymn number 625 to close our service.